Okay. All right. Shall we start rolling? Let's do it. Now or never. Okay. Hey, Mr. Linden. Hey, Ms. Rattledge. How are you? I'm good. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. So we're uh, we're trying this out. We're trying out doing a podcast together. Uh, yeah. Historically speaking is going to be the name of our podcast, y'all. What do you think? I like it. I, I like kind of feel like the intonation should be like, historically speaking, <laughs> like you're about to launch into, uh, yeah. I think you have the better game show host voice. So would you like to introduce the podcast then? All right, I'm, I'm happy to do that. All right, folks, hello and welcome to Historically Speaking uh, <laughs> with me, Mr. Linden, and Ms. Ratledge. Uh, we, uh, we were talking a lot about what we wanted to talk about this week, because we're going to try to address some of the major topics that are coming up in the news and current events each week. And we've been thinking a lot about the Supreme Court in a couple of different contexts this week. Yeah, the Supreme Court, um, which actually is currently in session, most importantly, um, but is also there is a, um, as you all know, the, there is a vacancy on the court right now after the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so uh, the Senate is in confirmation hearings right now for um, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Um, I believe, uh, actually, the confirmation hearings, let me, let me correct myself, they are over and there will be a vote um, coming soon on whether or not she will be the ninth justice on the Supreme Court. Um, notably, she would be, let's see, one, two, three, four, the fifth female justice on the Supreme Court, should she be, um, should she get that spot. Earlier about the census and um, how, you know, the Supreme Court uh, decided, by the way, this week that the census will be stopped, was stopped yesterday, taking the census was stopped yesterday on the 15th of October, um, and um, the Supreme Court decided that in favor of the Trump administration. So what's that got you thinking about? Yeah, so so this is sort of the second of the two reasons we've been thinking about the court. The first one, of course, being the hearings, the second one being the, the census. Um, it's a really interesting one because uh, the census is not something that we typically think of as particularly politicized as a question. It's just counting up all the people in the country. but. It has very much become a political question this year on sort of two fronts. I would say the first one is just that it directly connects to apportionment, right? Which states get electoral votes, which states get representatives. All of that is determined based on population from the census. So by freezing the census where it is now, it's slowing down the rate of change of electoral votes and representatives and, and everything like that. So it does seem like uh, the votes that are being stopped being reapportioned are generally ones that would benefit the, the Democratic Party. It's not entirely clear to me if it would only benefit the Democratic Party, but it does seem like the states that are increasing in population tend to be bluer ones. So by freezing it in place, uh, the Trump administration is uh, slowing the change there. I guess the other piece of it is that this, oh, go ahead. No, you you go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> Your turn. Okay, fine. 
fine. Um, so the, the other piece of it is that this isn't the first time that the census has been politicized like this. I, I'm sure it happens every time to some degree, but I was doing some reading about whether there were any particularly interesting census events. And, and it turns out in 1920, uh, there was this big controversy around the census because that was, you know, we're right after World War One. There are these huge waves of immigration coming to the United States. And maybe most importantly, there's a wave of urbanization going through the country. So what they see in this census as it's coming in is that this is going to be the first time that the country is going to be a majority urban country. So I think it's like 53% of the people in 1920 live in cities, which is a new breakdown. Not only that, there's a much larger immigrant population than there has been in the past. And essentially some of the more conservative senators and particularly uh, senators and congressmen or representatives in Congress who uh, represented rural areas decided that they didn't want these changes to the country reflected in apportionment. So they essentially just stalled the reapportionment. They voted for it not to happen. They came up with all sorts of reasons why it couldn't happen yet. And they managed to push it back until 1929, at which point they basically made the argument like, well, it's too late now to change it. We have another census coming in 1930. Why don't we just use that one? So they managed to, for the entirety of the 1920s, not update the electoral college or update the number of representatives that people got because they were afraid of the political implications of more urbanized society and and more immigrants being recognized in, in the country. Gosh, that's fascinating. I actually did not know that at all. But that makes that makes total sense because in the 20s, we one of the biggest arguments was this rural urban divide in fact i always tell my students how it's so similar to some of the things we see today but the the difference in the opinions in the country were so divided upon whether or not you know you were living in cities and you believed in kind of more like freer open love women wearing you know flapper dresses and pants and things like that or in the rural areas where there was things like you know the scopes monkey trial um <clears throat> deciding whether or not it was, whether or not we could teach evolution in classes, you know, that was in the 1920s. Um, so that's interesting that the census got pulled into that. I mean, I think it's worth noting, particularly since we are the historically speaking podcast, um, you know, the census is built into the constitution. Um, in fact, it's in the first article. And the reason why we have to do the census is, as you said, apportionment, but it's really, you know, it's also about taxation and where money gets allocated, um, you know, how Congress decides on who gets what. And it's a requirement that, you know, has never been in question. It's like it's like death and taxes. It's like every 10 years you do the census, you do the census. Right. Um, and so it has been really fascinating to watch the 2020 census with the different changes that we've you know, first there was the question about whether or not uh, citizen, non-citizens, I'm sorry, citizenship question, you know, and that got, that was in the Supreme Court. Uh, and then of course now, whether or not it will be decided upon by the end of the year. But 
always something interesting. As I was listening to a podcast yesterday, there are actually census beat reporters this year because there's so much to talk about with the census. <laughs> that is definitely not something we typically associate with uh, <laughs> counting the number of people around. But uh, that's fascinating. Well, why don't we why don't we pivot back to uh, Justice Barrett, right? Who likely is going to be filling the role of a uh, Supreme Court justice, right? Taking the seat that that Justice Ginsburg left. Um, did you get the chance to watch any of the hearings? You know, I've watched pieces of them. Um, admittedly, it's been a busy week in my life, Mr. Linden. <laughs> I agree. I'm a, I'm a busy woman. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I kind of. Um, Obviously, there's been a huge controversy around the decision to go ahead and make this to, to nominate a Supreme Court justice at this this stage um, in the election. It was noted that Justice Ginsburg had requested that we wait until after the election. Of course, in 2016, um, the the Republicans withheld a nomination from going through for um, <clears throat> Judge. Merrick Garland. So there's been all that kind of controversy, but let's just put, we're going to put that aside for the time being, because yeah. that is what it is. That's at least that's my opinion. It is what it is. Um, so I've been, you know, I've been kind of following, obviously I'm a woman. I liked, I'd like to see another woman on the court. I was happy to see that. Um, I think it's really notable that um, she, you know, she was chosen for many reasons, obviously she's a very accomplished, um, you know, she has a very accomplished career. But she has been very outspoken in terms of in terms of comparison to other judges um, about her views on abortion and the right to life. Um, and so one of the one of the real goals of the conservative push on the court has been to secure a spot on the court for a justice that will overturn this seminal court case, Roe versus Wade from 1973. Um, and so, you know, in the in the, the confirmation hearings this week, just our uh, judge Amy Coney Barrett, you know, demurred. She didn't state her opinion on Roe v. Wade as nobody does anymore. And all if you watch any of these confirmation hearings, they never do, right? Um, but notably, she did write about it in a newspaper. She signed on to public letters. Um, she certainly has suggested that she does not think the Affordable Care Act, the ACA also called Obamacare by some people, um, should allow for contraception. And so I think it's an interesting time. You know, it could be is one of the major markers of kind of our electoral divide. One of the what I see as like a massive wedge issue is abortion in America. Um, you know, for the first time in my lifetime, certainly it's there's a possibility it could be overturned. And um, so there's a lot to watch there. Right. And, and there's a long history of conservative justices being appointed who are supposed to be the one who finally tips the balance against Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, and then the, the people who have been appointed have consistently sort of drifted left on the issue. Um, a, a number of different folks, whether that's David Souter or, uh, well, I guess uh, Alito did, did vote the way that they wanted him to. But uh, Roberts even has mm -hmm. drifted a little bit left on some issues. There's there's a number of different justices who have drifted away. But at this point, you know, a lot of the strength of Roe v. Wade comes from the fact that it has lasted so long, 
that it is a precedent that's been reaffirmed a couple of times. But uh, Justice Barrett, in her hearings, didn't really do the typical uh, response to Roe v. Wade in that she didn't say, like, well, you know, it is a matter of settled precedent at this point. It's been upheld a number of different times. But, which is usually what we hear from conservative justices, or at least conservative nominees, um, she sort of went straight to the, uh, I don't really think my personal views should necessarily be taken as how I mm-hmm. will rule as a justice. But I did think that that lack of the hedging at the beginning mm-hmm. was a little bit telling. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, Yeah, we'll see. But I, also- I guess this... I was just going to say, she also noted that it's not a super precedent. In other words, a super precedent, which to me is just like goofy word, whatever. I, I don't know. These, 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 these political operatives, but whatever. A super precedent is something that essentially the Supreme Court has decided that is so well established within society that to change it, the, regardless of if, if it's constitutional or not, to change it would be such an upheaval of the values of society. So most people kind of, you know, say like Brown versus the Board of Education is an example of a super precedent. Um, The Miranda, Miranda versus Arizona, an example of super precedent, right? There's some, some clear cases. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people had said the Griswold versus Connecticut is a super precedent. That's what gives women the right to, um, to have access to contraception, um, which was not a right until the 1960s. So she did note that Roe v. Wade is not a super precedent. Um, but, you know, just to, just to take a, another side of this, I think it is something that um, that would be fascinating to see legislated. In other words, there it's not just because the court kicks it out. In other words, just because the court overturns Roe v. Wade does not mean that abortion suddenly becomes illegal, to be clear, in America. Um, it means that then states could pass legislation that make it less restrictive or more restrictive, right? And so I, you know, in a way I could see this this kind of battle being really just a fascinating example of whether or not we can legislate the way that the founders would have liked us to legislate on important issues, right? Right, and and that's part of this larger trend that that I know we've discussed privately before, which is that with the legislative branch being unable to pass much of anything in the last couple of decades, if you look at the grand scheme of things, more and more of these societal issues are being asked to be solved in the court, which, regardless of whether you think it is uh, sort of fundamentally democratic or not quite so democratic, it's not arguable that it's less democratic than legislative absolutely uh is reimportant and change uh to represent the people yeah absolutely um as i always say to my students you can tell what the founders thought was the most important by the number of words in each article in the constitution (laughs) right and article (laughs) one has the most and so yes. I always think like that, that when I think about intent, that's what I think about. Article two and article three, they're, they're very vague, which has given them a lot of powers, you know, the executive branch. And we just keep giving them more powers. The less Congress does their job, the more the executive branch gains power and the Supreme, the judicial branch gains power. 
So. Well, so I, for I Congress, think that, uh, <laughs> yes, for Congress, uh, maybe even state legislature. Who knows? Hey, there you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, you should probably wait until you're legally allowed to by age, but uh, or constitutionally, yeah. in some case, allowed <laughs> to. But uh, maybe we should stop teaching and, and run for Congress. No way. No way. I would be the worst political okay. personality. <laughs> Um, I, I think I could I could really do some good smarmy wheeling and dealing if I needed to. But, yeah, I can see uh, you doing it a little bit more than me. You have you're much better on camera and your voice is better. I would put my foot in my mouth all the time. <laughs> I I have absolutely no interest in doing that. Uh, but I think that'll just about do it for us this week. A uh, couple of different takes on the Supreme Court in our life today from this week. I had a lot of fun doing this. Thank you for, uh, for proposing this idea, Ms. Ravage. Let's hope we get a listener. Just one. We'll take one. <laughs> Just one. I'm looking at you, Mom. <laughs> okay. Bye, Mr. Linden. Bye, Ms. Ravage.